I feel like I was seeing the possibility and, and then, you know, the contract stay for the work that I do, which is be myself, share myself and walk the planet from my heart. That's up to me if I fulfill the contract. And for me, I'm like, okay, I got a second shot at life. I have to fulfill that contract. And if I don't fulfill that contract, suffering will happen. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado, and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound, and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of sacred journeys, spirit encounters, near-death experiences, angels, mysteries, marvels, and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary people reveal their extraordinary encounters. I acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of Sutherland Shire in Australia, where I live and record Spirit Sisters, and I recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and community. I pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. It's lovely to have your company today. My guest today is Ash Perro. Ash is an Australian musician and creative freedom coach. In 2016, Ash had a near-death experience following complications from back surgery. He experienced leaving his body and returning to it with the awareness that he was permitted to stay for the work that he does and to walk the planet from his heart. Ash understood that to be his contract. Since then, he has been exploring the barriers to being our truest version of ourselves and helping others to do the same. Along this path, Ash left his teaching job and returned to writing, sharing and performing music, as well as engaging in deep personal work to discover what it is that prevents us from living a life from the heart. Ash is passionate about helping people to create a life they love as you're about to discover in our conversation. As Ash unspooled his story, our conversation branched out in a number of fruitful directions, and I've included links in the show notes to everything we discussed in case you'd like to explore further. Also, for the first time on the Spirit Sisters podcast, I've included a musical interlude. Ash kindly contributed one of his beautiful songs called I'm Moving On, featuring Naomi Connell. Music is such a big piece of Ash's life, so this seems another meaningful way for him to share his story and his heart with us all today on the show. Listen out for the song around halfway through our conversation, and I invite you to pay close attention to the lyrics. There might just be a shining jewel of an invitation there for you. Enjoy my conversation with Ash Perro. Hi Ash, welcome to Spirit Sisters. Hi, Karina. Thank you. It's an honour, yeah, an absolute honour to, to be talking with you. I'm so excited to speak with you. I can't actually recall exactly when or where I first heard your story, Ash, but ever since I was thinking, well, I must invite him onto the show. So I'm delighted that you're here today. Oh, thank you. Right. So you've had a near-death experience and I'd love you to share that uh, in detail with us, please, Ash. But before we do, maybe if I could encourage you to take us back to just before it happened and if you could just set it up for us a bit, you know, give us a sense of what your life was like at that time, what was going on and how it all, you know, led into your NDE. Okay. So the NDE was towards the end of 2016 and pre-NDE life was hard like I, I'd been I'd had depression for seven years and at times it was you know very deep dark depression bordering on taking my own life and it was like I was just kept trying to work life out and no matter how hard I tried to work things out it was just hard and so like my health wasn't great my physical health and you know, I'd had adrenal fatigue for a few years. And, you know, over time, of course, I started to look 
what was under all these things and you know definitely there was the the pleaser where I was trying to please everybody else and sacrificing myself and you know that was playing out in many areas in my life and I had developed a back injury which um you know which basically I I I manifested that myself and that so pretty much for me the whole back injury near-death experience I created that and there was a pivotal moment one day when I was about to go for a surf and I'd been surfing for 10 days and camping and was just about to go back to work and the surf was amazing and there was nobody out and I thought right I'm going to go for a surf and and the closer I got to the end of my holiday the sore on my back got and I was like okay my back's starting to get sore but I literally heard this voice in my head say to me if you go surfing now you're going to hurt your back and I I you know looking back now it's a crazy thing to do but I said in my head I said back to that voice I said bring it on and when I started paddling out the the second wave I went to duck dive I popped two discs in my back and yeah and I, I didn't want to go back to work which is why I said bring it on because I thought well if I have my back I won't have to go back to work so following the back injury I set about trying to treat myself naturally and so yoga pilates acupuncture bowen therapy lots of exercise supporting my back and the discs deteriorated to the point where they just disintegrated and literally my vertebrae was bone on bone and i was in you know pretty much level sort of eight to ten pain nerve pain every day and you know i i looking back now i was like i just kept going like you know, despite the level of pain, despite having to be on endone, which was super toxic for me, I just kept going and going and going. And you know, that was symbolic of the way that I would sacrifice myself for others and not take care of my health, not take care of my social relationships, not take care of my friendships and my creativity and just yeah, just basically work to, to bring money into a relationship that was failing. And despite how much we would, we were trying, it was failing dismally. And so what actually led to your NDE then? So on the 12th of November, 2016, I went in for spinal fusion and during the operation, the surgeons tore a vein low down in my groin and they didn't know and because my discs had disintegrated so badly they actually had to scrape bits out of, of disc away before they could fuse the discs um, fuse the vertebrae and when they were scraping the the remnants of the discs away they moved a vein slightly and you know, now I know that veins are the texture is a little bit like tissue paper and so that extra stress caused a tear lower down and they're unaware. So they stitched me back up and um, I went back to the ward. And during the first night I had a lot of pain and I was pressing the, the painkiller, which was fentanyl. I was pressing the button and I'd say to the nurse, I'm just in so much pain. And the nurse kept saying, that's okay. Just, you know, keep pressing the button. It resets every five minutes or 10 minutes. I can't remember what it was and just keep giving yourself more painkiller. And then the next morning, the physio came to get me up and I sat on the edge of the bed and I looked down at my left leg and my left leg was really small and it was about twice the size of what it normally was. And I, I didn't know that it, and neither did the physio for some reason, but didn't know that it, it was full of blood. So he said, don't worry about it. That's okay. We'll just get you up because that's part of the rehab. And so I stood up and within seconds I collapsed and he, he pressed the red medical button and I was still conscious, but I just was, you know, unable to, to do anything really. I was just I, on the bed. He must've lifted my legs up and put them on the bed. And the emergency team came in and they attached I don't know what they're called, but like the electrodes for the heart monitoring. 
and oxygen mask and they were saying things like stay with us ash keep your eyes open stay awake and i remember where people were in the room and i you know i remember that there was somebody taking notes of everything that was happening i also remember that the physio was standing sort of to the left and at the foot of the bed i got to this moment where i thought this is it i'm dying and you know i could hear the medical team saying he doesn't have a pulse and they were telling me or were telling each other what what my blood pressure was and just before i i blacked out i heard one of them say his blood pressure is 52 on 36. so i blacked out but i still had conscious thought and i was like okay this is what dying's like and actually just before I blacked out, I had incredible sadness because I, I knew that I was dying. I, I knew that this was it. And I was so sad that nobody I loved was in the room. And you know, it, it took me months to even be able to say that without crying. So I felt this incredible sadness and then I blacked out and I felt myself become like ripples. And so I was this, ever expanding ripple and I just kept going out and out in all directions and you know some people say they see visuals and things like that for me it was just this black and you know like this this deeper state of consciousness and there was calm and I was saying I want to stay and I started going through all these things that I wanted to stay for and I said I want to stay for my partner and the ripples kept going out and then I said I want to stay for the kids and the ripples kept going out and I just knew that I was still dying. And, and then I had this moment of warmth and totally different to what I was saying before. I said, I want to stay for the work that I do and walk the planet from my heart. And in saying that, it was like I had these hundreds of images of what that meant. And the moment I expressed that, that I want to stay for the work that I do and walk the planet from my heart. I instantly came back into my body, opened my eyes, they got a pulse and I was alive and in crazy amounts of pain, like, like level 11 pain beyond anything I'd ever experienced. Yeah, then over the next couple of hours, they, they rushed me down and scanned me, got me onto morphine. It was at that stage. Yeah, somehow I was alive. What a profound experience, Ash. I think when you say those words, you wanted, and you declared them yourself, which which is fascinating. There, there are so many unique aspects to your NDE, and one of them is that you kind of made this declaration, I want to walk the earth from my heart. And they're the words that really stayed with me when I first heard your story and I made me think, well, I, I really want to speak with Ash and get him on the show because... It's such an important message and it's it's fascinating how when you, so you mentioned very valid, beautiful things, your partner, your children, and then when you mentioned work, your your heart's purpose, that's when things changed. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the download that I have, the work was be myself, share myself. That was it. And so I had all these images of me just being in places being calm and sitting with people, listening to people, sharing experiences with people and just being myself. And that was quite a, you know, it sounds so simple now, but at that time it was quite a profound insight. And, and when I was in the ICU, I started to think, well, I thought that I was living from my heart. Like I was being kind to others the best that I could be. I was doing work that was of service to people but I wasn't serving me. And I was like, ah, oh, well, I have this contract now. I have to find out what it means to live from my heart because I wasn't doing that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had this experience and been allowed to come back with the contract. Mm. And that's the other thing. I've heard you talk about it as a contract. So it's very much like a formal arrangement, you know, that you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and that you're now living out. So the images that came to you in that download 
of you sharing yourself. So do they now relate to what you are doing in your life today? They do. And, you know, a, a key one was, was time with friends at that point. Like I hadn't spent much time with friends over the last few years and I hadn't traveled, I hadn't been playing music. So now it's like, you know, now I just, I love adventure. Like I love travel. I catch up with lots of friends. I play music every weekend, you know, well, pretty much I play music every day. I play gigs almost every weekend and yeah, I, I work with people to, help them give the gift of themselves to themselves because that was like, that was my greatest deficit. And so coming back, I had to learn about my conditioning that I, you know, had put on myself as I went through my life. And then I had to start taking it away. And, you know, I guess that, you know, that greatest whole becomes our greatest purpose, which comes from Dr. John Martini, And, can you say that again? Our greatest? Yes. Our greatest whole. As in so whole? This, as in H-O-L-E. Uh-huh. So our greatest deficit becomes our greatest purpose. And so at some point in our, our lives, we feel you know, disconnected from some aspect of ourselves or some aspect, you know, for example, you know, a, psycholog- a psychologist what, uh, that I, I know an example of, it, he had difficulty understanding his parents why they would do the things that he they would do which led him to want to understand why humans do the things that they want to do and so he felt alone and isolated from his parents because he couldn't understand why they were doing the things that they were doing and that led him to become a psychologist and so now his whole life is devoted to one understanding people and two helping people understand themselves and understand others that's quite amazing. So, yeah, so our, defic- our greatest deficit becomes our greatest purpose. It reminds me, I guess, of the saying that everything works together for good ultimately, you know, mm-hmm. and that is often a message within the NDE as well, that um, all is well. Is that something that you experienced, Ash, in yours, that ultimately everything's okay? I don't think I did at that point. There's that phrase equanimity that, you know, everything's as it should be and works out that I think, you know, the, the further I go along in life, the more I can see and also challenging that filter, that, that cultural filter that we're given to look at the negatives. So for example, with parents, it's often like, well, my parents did this to me. Right. And, and instead of seeing the gift of the, the parents behavior and what it led us to become, we see, with the child's view and the hurt and the isolation as we go through life that just creates more and more isolation and the protection strategies that we put in as a child they worked when we were kids and so you know so yes isolation might have helped when we were a child to withdraw and we were unable to process the emotions but as we get older and we're in relationships or we're in work situations they become toxic. Those strategies become toxic and so we hold true. on to them. So true, Ash. I've certainly had instances where, you know, I'm faced with something that triggers me, brings back an old memory, but not consciously, it's subconsciously. And it's only later that I realise, oh my goodness, I just went back to, you know, Karina age seven responding to a hurt. And mm-hmm. in, in a way, like we're, we're still there in that mindset, in that consciousness, in, within a part of us. As you're saying, yeah. So I just want to backtrack a little bit. So you mentioned that prior to your experience, you had been experiencing depression for seven years, Ash. That's that's Mm -hmm. a long time. And and you mentioned that you have a real sense that you did create this experience. Could you talk more about that? What I view now as my depression, I... I see that there was a very strong critical judge that I was carrying and, and can still carry, right? And it's like, you know, like I'm, I still have this human conditioning that at times it catches me out. But at that point in time that, you know, that, that judge, that was like, you know, Jesus in the cross, I was carrying that judge around on my back every day. And there's been times in the last five and a half years where, you know, only a couple of times, but it was like, am I 
experiencing depression again. And what became clear was it was the judge. It was telling me that I shouldn't be experiencing what I'm experiencing, that I should be feeling in a different way to what I was feeling. And that was most of my, my pre-NDE life was walking around with that judge and, and the weight of that judge was my depression. So that word should, we should be doing this or we should be doing that. It's kind of mm. like our arch enemy in a way yeah. in terms of what yeah. it creates on the level of form in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's all conditioning because a baby's not knowing, born knowing that they shouldn't cry. You know, it's conditioning that's put on. And so the work, you know, part of the work that I've, I've come back is to find for myself how to work through those things. And, and you're definitely acceptance of emotions and embracing emotions and, and learning, you know, like I, I used to totally reject anger, reject sadness. And, and if I was experiencing those things, it was something wrong with me. Whereas now I'm like, okay, what's the gift in this? And you know, that, that, and now I see anger as being one of the most helpful, powerful emotions there is for us to become happy. Most people, and this was me included, and, and at times I can still judge myself for being angry. So as I was growing up, my father was quite angry and can still be quite angry. And, you know, it would be like this white hot anger that I was so fearful of as, as a child. And my mother really doesn't like that anger either. And if I became angry, I would upset my mother. And basically I had this perception that the only person allowed to be angry was my father. And if I had anger that harmed others, and this was playing out in my relationships as well. When I'd be in relationship and anger would come up, then being somebody that was trying to hold in their anger, when it would come up, it would come out sideways and come out with force, like not physical force, but you know, in words, it would be venom in words. And what I've learned now is that like, ah, if I go into the anger and experience the anger, what is on the other side is freedom because the anger is just a response to fear. And so, the, you know, the, that, like what you talked about before about being seven years old, it's like there'll be a trail of memory there if I'm mindful and, and sit with it. And, you know, sometimes it can take weeks to work out what it was. But if I'm mindful and, and conscious of any memories that come up, that's actually what the answer is. And so it's like the anger is a gift. Like all, all the emotions are a gift. And if I sit with those emotions, I'll be presented what's wrapped up in that gift. It's quite almost revolutionary what you're saying in that if we think about what happens when we don't want to sit with those emotions, with the anger or the sadness or whatever it may be, and well, one, it leads to people-pleasing and I'm a recovering people-pleaser too and I think so many of us are, but it can also lead to many other things that play out negatively in our lives, such as addictions of all sorts. It's that distraction that we're, we don't want to feel those things. I too grew up in an environment that made me not really able to cope with conflict. So that, you know, that repression of that played out, it's still playing out the effects of that today and I'm learning to, to navigate all that. So what you are saying, Ash, about sitting with those frightening things, it could, you know, that could change everything in terms of treating depression and addiction. This is just me riffing, but what do you mm. think about that? I think, you know, there's practitioners out there that work in this way, you know, which I've benefited from. And, you know, that somatic experience is like, ah, like, well, where is it in the body? And, you know, th this is, this is wisdom that's been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And so, for example, Rumi has a poem called The Guest House. In that poem, he talks about welcoming every emotion like a friend. Welcome them into your house like a friend. That's, for me, that's where the, the true work is in becoming free. I love what you're saying, Ash. 
What about, uh, how would you have described your spiritual grounding if it even existed at the time of your <laughs> NDE? Like what did you believe or not believe? I had been lucky, blessed, let's say blessed instead of lucky, but um, I had been blessed to go to a Wayne Dyer workshop in Brisbane and a couple of weeks before he died. And, you know, I, I had had experiences where, you know, I'd, I'd done a Reiki course and, and basically the Reiki course changed my whole perception of, of life. Like that was uh, when I did the Reiki course, it was like, oh my gosh, there is actually something else. And even though there'd been little experiences in my life, like, you know, going to an energetic healer when I had chronic migraines and the energetic healer held my toes for 30 minutes and then I didn't have a migraine for five years afterwards. It wasn't until I did the Reiki course that I connected that, oh, wow, that really is some powerful force. Um, and with the Wayne Dyer workshop, he actually had Anita Majani speak at the workshop for a couple of hours. And Anita Majani is probably one of the, the best known people to have had an, a near-death experience. And, and her near-death experience was very well documented. And so she's the, as far as at that point in time, and as far as I'm aware at the moment, she was the only person to come back from stage four level cancer. Yeah, it's an extraordinary story. I too was at that workshop, but not the Brisbane one. I was at the mm -hmm. Melbourne one a week before mm -hmm. he died. Yeah, yeah. I'm so I'm so grateful that I got to experience Wayne Dyer. And, Same. Yeah, he like even yesterday morning I was feeling a little bit stressed, and I I put on the Wayne Dyer reading the Tao Te Ching. Like, ah, thank you, thank you, Wayne Dyer. He was a beautiful soul, and I I think he did amazing work in in really bringing these deep esoteric concepts to the masses, if you like. Like it, it was a wonderful introduction for me anyway. Yeah, yeah, likewise. And I think he was probably the first person that I encountered that, that did that kind of work. In terms of your spiritual development, that workshop mm -hmm. with Wayne was key. Well, it was, it, there must have been some sort of seed planted about near-death experience. It must have been something, and you know, Anita Majani. I, I really loved her, her the way the room felt when she was speaking. Yeah, so there must have been some aspect of my mind that became open to the possibility of near-death experiences, and I was very curious about, you know, what would happen when I die. Like, do I just die or do I exist? And so I, you know, I suspected that I would exist in some way whereas now it's like I, I've, I've been to the other side and I know that the essence of who I am still exists and and you know when I was when I was on the other side it was a real surprise that I was me there was this knowing of me and I thought I thought I'd become like a Buddha or like Anita Mojani <laughs> right <laughs> like you know like this sort of feeling of being this amazing enlightened being but what I felt was that I was still Ash Perro it was it was you know even now conceptually it's still a very difficult thing for me to to name and it was that I was still me after death it was still the essence of me and it, I still felt like I was with me it wasn't like I shifted into some different being it was still me do you feel like if you had permitted the experience to progress that you might have melded into something bigger? Do you feel like in a way you not cut this experience short but you decided because you were firm about coming back, you really wanted to come back. Do you feel like that you could have progressed onto something else? Yeah, I'm curious what would have happened with the expansion like, you know, if I had have just kept expanding and expanding, expanding, and then there was some sort of experience that was awaiting and, you know, this, this is totally conjecture, but it's like, it's quite possible that I just became pure consciousness. In that moment, I was consciousness. Like I was out of my body. I didn't have any physical sensation. 
and it, the physical sensation only happened when I came back into my body. I was blacked out. I was still thought I could still think, and you know, months later, I started really questioning the NDE, and I I thought maybe I just fainted, and then I was like, well, if I just fainted, how was I able to think? Did you have any uh, sort of download or understanding about time and the nature of time in your NDE? No, I feel like I was under very a very short period of time, and you know I've I'd never gone back and asked for the medical records because, you know, even the doctor later on, he, you know, I, I said something about it. And he said, oh, you know, you're okay. You gave us a fright, but you are okay. You know, you're always safe. And that that was not my experience. But I just, I've thought, you know, if I go into looking at medical records, I will will contaminate the experience that I had. That experience was for me so that I could create the life that is possible. So Um, I'm not sure if I answered your question then. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. The reason I asked about time was because there's a sense when you share about all the images that came to you that in a way you were sort of seeing the future. I feel like I was seeing the possibility and, and then, you know, the contract, stay for the work that I do, which is be myself, share myself, and walk the planet from my heart, that's up to me if I fulfill the contract. And for me, I'm like, okay, I got a second shot at life. I have to fulfill that contract. And if I don't fulfill that contract, suffering will happen. And so, you know, at the moment with clients, I often talk about like in one hand is suffering and the other hand is challenge. And yes, it's, you know, if I just stay in my my victim state where it's everybody else's fault and I keep avoiding doing the things that are in front of me, I'll be in suffering. Whereas if I take charge and go, okay, what is it that I want to create? I'll be in challenge and there can still be suffering in challenge, but it's, it's a different feel because at least I'm fulfilling that contract, which I got the glimpse of. It's like, ah, here's what's possible. You know, and I think that's for everybody that comes onto the planet we decide you know when we, as we're arriving it's like ah this is what's possible in this lifetime and then it's up to us if if we we step into it so you've used that word contract is that a word that emerged within your nde or afterward in retrospect i think it probably was within 24 to 48 hours of coming back and being in the ICU, it was like, uh, this is a contract. And, and, you know, I remember at one point, like, I, I, I couldn't even move my body. And I remember I was talking to one of the nurses and I said, I'm so grateful to have this experience of suffering. And, you know, it, it came from this place where it was like, there's people that are experiencing this level of suffering every day. And I could have gone my whole life without knowing what that level of suffering was like. And there was gratitude there that, that I was experiencing that suffering. I, so I think that the NDE was already doing its work straight after. And, you know, the relationship fell apart three weeks after I got out of hospital. An experience like that, it's either going to make a relationship or break a relationship if the relationship's having problems. Yes, and that and, is a common after effect of the NDE, that the main relationship breaks down, I think. I have read that. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was heartbreaking because my whole pre-NDE life, I had set up to fulfill the relationship and in it I'd forgotten me. And so when the relationship broke up, where was I? The things that were important to me in my life, I'd let them all go other than my daughter. I'd let them all go. And so it became, you know, it was almost eight months before I could go back to full-time work. And in that time, I, I started going back about, well, here's a clean slate. Like, you know, it was literally like the universe just went, you're back. We're wiping that life clean and you start again from scratch. And so, you know, at the end of the relationship, we moved out. My daughter and I moved out and all we had was a, her desk and a, and a bed. And so life started again and it was... I'll put it in the challenge hand. It was challenging, but it was 
it was beautiful and you know I, I started doing quite a lot of personal work to go how do I live from my heart When came up the hill this morning bending trees like straw cool change in the air the whisper of something more though I'm happy here it's time for moving on I'm on a seeker's quest is it my soul's call to be looking for the new and shedding the old I'm happy here It's time for moving on From this window I can see Rain making everything clean Running down the hill Moving towards the sea Though I'm happy here Like straw, a cool change in the air, the whisper of something more. Though I'm happy here, it's time for moving on. I know I love this seeker's quest. Is it my soul's call to be looking for the new and shedding the old? Though I'm happy here.
So how soon after the NDE did you begin to do this personal work? So you've told us the relationship broke down like very swiftly three weeks later. When did you have that reflection, Ash, where you said, I'm going to live from my heart? And how did you begin to to walk that on the earth? Mm-hmm. Well, I, it was funny. I kind of strategized it. So at first it was like, I need to focus on health first. And so, and once again, this was part of the process because in the past I'd given my health away for others. And in, I remember it was only maybe seven weeks after the NDE speaking to, I was working as a school teacher and speaking to my principal and like, I want to come back next week. And she's like, do you think that's a good idea? And like, yeah, yeah, I want to come back to work. And, um, you know, I went in on a pupil free day and it was very evident that I was not well enough to work. And luckily my principal told me and supported me in, in taking the time that I needed to come back to work gradually. Um, so yeah, so there was this conscious choice about health first and then you know, pretty much within two months, I well pre NDE, actually the weekend before my NDE, I had been to a weekend retreat, which is run by path retreats. And that was called the awakening of love. And it's this little taste tester of their, their week long retreat, which is called the path of love. And it was the second time I'd done that, that retreat. And I thought to myself, to find out how to live from my heart, I need to go to the path of love. And I had never been to the week long retreat because the money I was making was going into the relationship, not into my growth. And so I made the decision and, you know, I had to borrow the money, but I made the decision that that's what I was going to do. And that was one of the most life changing events in my whole life to go and discover discover a way of looking at the conditioning that was there and, and become aware of, oh, wow, this conditioning is stopping me from living from my heart. And, and also the emotional processing, like around sadness, around anger and learning skills to connect with people. And, you know, you know I just got back last week from, from volunteering on that retreat as well. So I think I've volunteered six times on the path of love now and then, you know, just go there and, and assist with with supporting participants in a in a background way it really feels like that was part of the work that you were being prepared to do i mean it's it's amazing to me that just one week before your nde you were at the mini retreat the awakening of love mm-hmm. it's like leading you into there the the title says it all mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and you know a friend of mine came with me and it was funny because he came back and his life just opened up into joy. Like whatever he needed to get, he got on that weekend and his life opened up into joy. Mine went deep, deep, deep into suffering. Both a gift. Both a gift. Now let's talk in more detail, Ash, about the, the after effects that you've experienced. So we've touched on mm-hmm. a couple and you've created a really excellent video on your YouTube channel and I'll share all the links in the show notes. And uh, in this video, you explain in detail the 10 after effects that researchers have identified and how they relate to you specifically. And I'd love to explore some of these with you. I'm wondering if, if you know them, the 10, if we should just like read out what they are and then pick out a few that stand out to you. Mm-hmm. Yep, I've got them here. You've got them? Yeah, go on. Yes. Okay, so the first one is nature. And what I've found is that my connection to nature has amplified. You know, I, I pretty much spent you know, 20 years surfing at least a few times a week and, and felt like a love of the ocean. Whereas now I feel this deep connection with nature and perceive trees to be beings and, and that plants have, have this soul attached to them. Um, and, you know, I think, with my near-death experience, it also awakened this deep curiosity in consciousness and exploring consciousness because I was like, I experienced being alive without a body and, and that was a conscious, you know, that, that was a conscious experience. What is consciousness? How do I learn more about consciousness? And so part of that has been exploring things like plant medicines 
and you know altered states that come from having those medicines and what one of the byproducts of that is has been even a deeper connection to nature and savoring the beauty of nature more beautiful have you watched uh, i think it's only just started on netflix it might be called change your mind have you seen that i haven't seen it i've read the book which is michael pollan that's right yeah um yes and the i somehow ended up in the right place at the right time and got to work with one of the researchers who spent 20 years working with one of the experts in that book um and and that was a profound experience too to have one of those psychedelic or they call them psycholytic as in psych- psychedelic therapy sessions to have a psycholytic session yeah that was phenomenal you know basically the idea is we we strip away the the ego so that we can see what's underneath and and that there becomes this separation between the the ego or the conditioning and the essence of the self and so it's it's almost like you can take a step back and and be guided to see what what is playing out what is what are the thought patterns for anyone who's not familiar it's it is about these plant medicines it's about um ayahuasca and uh What's the mushroom one called, Ash? I forgot. Psilocybin. Psilocybin, thank you. And LSD as well. And it's just absolutely fascinating how they started researching it in the in the 50s and 60s and were having fantastic results with people with mental illness and addiction. And then it was all repressed and maligned by, you know, Nixon and the forces that be. Fascinating. Mm. And then it's had this rebirth, which is playing out still now. And it's just the potential for healing is unbelievable Mm, totally and it's you know there's there's a wonderful book called the immortality key and i can't remember the author's name but in that book he's a researcher well versed in catholicism and greek history and what he discovered was that you know the experiences that greek you know there was a um pilgrimage that people would do and they would experience god and the experience was actually taking drinking a beer with psilocybin in it and they would experience god they weren't allowed to talk about the experience and he developed this theory that you know and it's very controversial but he developed this theory that that's what jesus was doing and so drinking the wine of of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, it was wine with psilocybin in it because that was how people would experience God. And then churches were developing using these these psychedelic wines. And at some point they took them out. Right. And so the the he puts forward this this idea that for people to reconnect with the churches, they need to bring back the psilocybin in the wine. People putting forward that uh, that theory in the sixties, and mm-hmm. they got absolutely shut down. The whole idea that it, it's drugs rather than that something that can help people heal, and also in palliative care, so people's fear of death and dying. It's there's phenomenal research there about how it actually helps people to come to terms with death. They do get this ability to be able to see that death isn't the end point. And that's one of the um, characteristics of the um, in the post-NDE experience as well. And I'm sorry, I'll get you back on track there, mm. Ash. No, no, no. Got, we, yeah, we could talk forever about the plant medicines. I'm new to it, but absolutely intrigued. But you were telling us, so that's point number one, your connection to nature, that bond has been deepened. How beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. We did go on a tangent, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We went right on in, on a trip. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah, go on. So that was number okay. one. Yes, number two, time alone. So, you know, pre-NDE, time alone often hurt, right? I felt lonely, whereas, whereas now, I, you know, I spend a lot of time on my own and it's a very rewarding experience to be on my own. Another, the third point was change of career. So a lot of people that go through an NDE 
experience a change of career and that was definitely the case for me so i'd been a teacher for 22 years and most of the time i had wanted to leave teaching since the second year and it got to january 2020 so a couple of years after my nda got the or three years it got to january 2020 and i was like you know i was i i hurt my back at work again and uh and i was you know and it got to the point that I wasn't happy at work. Like I, I, there had been points where I really loved my work and was really enjoying what I was doing, but it got to the point where it was time to leave. And my, I, I had a minor back injury, but it meant that I couldn't work for a couple of months. And I was like, I've been here before. I know what the message is. And so January, 2020, I decided that I had to leave teaching no matter what. So I, I resigned and, um, was like, okay, well, I'm going to play some play music, and then, of course, in March 2020, we had the pandemic start. So that was well timed, Ash. Yes, well, perfectly timed <laughs> because then it led me to coaching, and I I spent nine months in between lockdowns busking, and I I went to Tasmania three times, Queensland nine times, and literally was living out of my guitar case, like I was just busking in in shopping centers it was an amazing experience because i had thousands and thousands of people put money in my guitar case and and it kept me going for nine months so you were really honoring the contract there weren't you walking the earth from your heart doing exactly what you love it was it was an amazing experience to see how much people valued music because without that experience i might have given up but then the suffering would have been become so much that i would have had to go back to the path of music what are we up to ash um, so relationships. So for me, you know, the relationship ended and what I learned was, you know, I began to see relationships that were draining my energy instead of giving me energy. And, you know, I can't think of one relationship in my life now that, that drains my energy. And so, you know, and I've married and just in the most beautiful, loving, kind relationship that I'm so grateful that I have a second life because I didn't even know that was possible. Like, you know, I'd been in love and then as we progressed through the years, it got very difficult and it became a lot of suffering. Whereas now it's, you know, we've been together for five years, over five years. And it's, you know, we keep going to the depths of love. It's, um, you know, we both have, communication strategies and and similar training from you know path of love and other work so we can communicate and also you know an understanding that each individual in the relationship has to do what makes them happy first and then that happy person comes to the relationship and we get to celebrate each other together or, or support each other or whatever it might be but yeah, I didn't even know that was possible. The 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 level of relationship that I'm I'm in now, and it's it's stunning. It's one of the greatest gifts of having been able to come back. It's very beautiful, Ash. Thank you for sharing your heart there with us. So relationships. Now, um, what's next on the list, and what are we up to? Okay. <laughs> right on my list. So we've got three to go, which is mediumship, the fear of death, and purpose. Okay. So mediumship. I guess it's that exploration of consciousness and much more clued into to listening. So it's become really, really important that I listen. And if I don't listen, say, for example, the, the voice that told me I was going to hurt my back and I said, bring it on. If I don't listen to the guidance that I'm being given, suffering will go up. And, you know, the guidance might put me in challenge but if I avoid, if I don't listen, or if I disregard what the guidance comes in, th- there's going to be suffering. And so I had this kind of thing. Well, you know, actually, my my Reiki master, one of the things she, I remember her saying to me was, "My life is none of my business. Like, I just listen and do." And so, definitely, there's there's a, a increased capacity to listen. And, and be aware of the guidance that can come in and be like, okay, this is the next way forward. So it seems like for you, mediumship and deep listening are synonyms. So essentially you're defining mediumship as a deep listening. 
have you had experiences of hearing or having a sense of persons that have that are deceased? I have. I have. There's been sometimes, you know, I, somebody, you know, there's been friends that have passed away and I've felt them and then had a conversation with them and and been told. So, for example, there was a friend of mine about 18 months ago and his first wife had died of breast cancer and then his second wife died. And I was like, I can't believe that he's going through this suffering again. And his first wife, I just, I felt her and we started a conversation and she said to me, don't worry about him. He's learning self-love. And so that totally reframed, okay, all right, he's okay. And I just, you know, I support him, but he's learning self-love and that's why he's going through that experience. And the conversation is within you. It's there's no audible yeah. voice, is there, Ash? No, no. It's like, it, and so the listening is almost expanding my consciousness mm-hmm. to listen, and that it, it's it's a back and forth conversation, and and I can ask questions and the answers will come in. However, like I do find it very tricky to to stay in that space for a long time mm-hmm. you know it, it's generally just you know a minute or two that i'm in there um and it's definitely something that i'm curious about exploring more how to do that more um and you know even say for example my daughter you know, there's been times when i've been away and i've been able to have a conversation with her like a you know with, with not verbally and she has told me exactly what's happening on in in her life, even the names of people that she might be having difficulties with and, and things like that. I think she's a bit, she's like a bit scared. She's like, dad, can you not do that please? <laughs> <laughs> because your daughter is 16, I think, did you say? Yeah. Like in in yeah, your she's video? 16 soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. She, she's turning 16 soon. Yeah. Love, love it a bit. And you know, that's also one of the greatest gifts was that you know, the relationship fell apart and we had years living together where it was just the two of us. You know, I remember the first day we moved into the house, the, the new house, she was running around the backyard like this happy puppy. Like, you know, I had my dad back to me. And, you know, as much as we tried our best to provide a beautiful home of fun and, and love for the kids, it, there was conflict. Mm. And, you know, she was just full of joy that, that transition had happened and you know one of the reasons I'd been staying in the relationship was because I didn't want to harm my daughter and um, it was another lesson that when I do what's right for me it's right for others. Okay so that's mediumship okay. next one. Yes yeah <laughs> um, so fear of death I, I, lo- I find a lot of life very humorous now because it's like if I can take a step back and you know, see the ridiculous things that I might do or think or react to. But there's this duality now where I love my life so much that I don't want it to end. But I'm also open to the next time that I die because I know that it's not the end. I sincerely hope that the next time I die, I'm surrounded by people I love. and. But I'm also conscious that if that's not the case, I just want to surrender to death and surrender to the the love that is there in the act of in that moment of death. And rather than be fighting it, the next time I want to just surrender. What you say about loving life reminds me of there's a near death experiencer who has since passed and he's got one of the most in depth, extraordinary stories. He's got an unusual name, Melon Thomas. Benedict, and I don't know if you've seen him on YouTube or Melon is spelt M-E-L-L-E-N. And he had this, one of those, you know, ongoing near-death experiences that went on and on and taught him, you know, a million things. But yet when he came back to life and he, according to him, he had gone into a state of, that was approaching rigor mortis and he came back Mm -hmm. to everybody's shock and he was speaking. Mm. And what he was saying when he came back to life was, I love my life. I love my life. I love my life. Mm. So that yeah. what you say reminds me of that. 
Yeah, and, and that reminds me of that moment when I was saying to the nurse, like, I'm so gratitude, so mm. so grateful to know this level of suffering. And the the other item is that like purpose, and so that's something that's shifted since my NDE is that you know my purpose is to be myself, share myself, and you know shame and guilt that makes us hide, and instead of us being you know as big as we can be or the the essence of the child because like you know like if you look at a three-year-old or a six-year-old if they haven't been emotionally squashed they can be really big really loud emotions come and go and it's the conditioning that comes on top that squashes that essence and so my purpose is like okay there's a maturity that comes being an adult, but the essence of the child is still there. And so the purpose is, you know, how do I navigate this world, being myself, sharing myself? And sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I get it wrong, and sometimes I avoid, you know, the guidance, and then that leads to suffering until I actually submit and go, okay, we'll go that way. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, the, my at the moment, my basically I just, you know, want to have experienced the world in the, the fullest way that I can experience people in the most in the fullest most authentic and and loving way that I can and help people and and explore my creativity which you know, mostly is for me playing music that's wonderful Ash thank you thank you so much for sharing all of that I just thought as you were speaking I thought I'll ask you what do you think is the source of that guidance that you receive, that we all receive within ourselves if we tune in? I think it's my own consciousness. And so I feel like when I was having my NDE, I was negotiating with my higher self, which mm -hmm. is still myself. And yes. so, you know, we start to get into the quantum world where it's like, okay, <laughs> things, things aren't as they appear, but they are as they appear. And then they're not as they appear, but I was negotiating with myself and it was my higher self that was like, yes, you, you, you're getting it. Have another go. What a good message. Mm. And mm. Ash, yeah. as we approach the end of our conversation today, I thought I'd ask you about the shift that appears to be taking place on a global scale at the moment. I wonder how you think that relates to our own sense of purpose and how so many of us feel that we're unfulfilled in our purpose and what what part that plays in this global shift potentially? It's a great question. And I feel that you know, what we're doing is we're discovering ourselves more deeply as humanity and we're discovering through suffering and some people are discovering through challenge or we're discovering through both. But it's like we decide how we discover about ourselves. And so for many people, like, you know, they're hardwired for personal growth, like they're hardwired to discover deeper aspects of themselves. And we can discover that through suffering or we can discover it through challenge. And so an example might be that there was, you know, I, I was putting off doing this live video and I was very aware of the processes that were going through my head as I was putting off the live video. Right? And so my hard wiring was like, ah, oh, I'm learning my, about myself like by avoiding this, this video. Right? And it was creating suffering because I was just in there in doubt, like, ah, oh, trying to break through it. On the other hand, I could, I could meet that need for personal growth by actually, actually doing the video. And so this is the work that I do with the people now. It's like, are you choosing suffering? Are you choosing challenge? Because that need to discover yourself and know about yourself, you get to choose. You get to choose if it's suffering or if it's challenge. And so, yeah, I really believe we have this choice that if we align to who we are and what we want to do, we will continue to meet that need for personal growth and, and discovery. And if we don't align to that, 
We will continue to meet the need for personal growth and personal discovery, but we'll be doing it in a much more painful way. And just to hark back to something that we talked about before that relates to this, when we do follow our heart's desire and we follow that that golden thread to learn more about ourselves and to honour the things that light us up, we support the collective. Mm, very true, very true. And, you know, that's, that's the shift. Oh, one, one person at a time and it's ourselves at a time. People find it inspiring when their friends do what their friends want to do and what, what lights them up. And if your friends aren't, aren't finding that inspiring, then it's, it's the wrong friends because they're attached to you staying small and, and being controlled. So tell me how, or tell us all, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about your music, your work, your coaching? Okay. I have my website, which is just ashpero.com. And there's music and co- coaching information on there. There's also, at the moment, I use Instagram a bit, but definitely Facebook's probably the, the main channel that I, I use to work through at the moment. So there's almost daily posts on Facebook. I run a weekly, I call it a creative crunch. And so I do a weekly live for 20 minutes and just look at some aspect of our personalities that's holding us back and how we can move forward. And there's also a monthly free Tuesday tune-up, which is a online workshop in which I get somebody in the hot seat and I do a live coaching session around a topic. And so, you know, so we might get say 15, 20 participants that come to the workshop and then people put forward what their issue is and the group votes on whose issue they would like to, to see be coached. And so we do a live coaching session with the idea being that you know we all have similar things that we need to work on and that one person's experience is all our experiences so we benefit from that fabulous thank you so much for all those offerings it's clear that you're really you know you're really adhering to the contract ash i try Some, <laughs> sometimes i go off i go <laughs> off the track and i i get put back on the path but um and also there's for music there's you know, like streaming services so like apple music spotify um, and, and YouTube music. And, and so there's, yeah, there's on all those streaming services, you'll find my music. Now, Ash, any last thoughts to leave our audience with today? I guess the main message from me is that giving the gift of yourself to yourself is a gift to others. Yeah. That's the crucial piece is that, that you are the gift and the first person to receive the gift is you. And then that's the gift to others. Couldn't love that more. Thank you, Ash. It's been an absolute joy to have you on the show today. I love your authentic heart, your spirit, and just your generosity of sharing. Thank you, Ash. Uh, Thanks, Karina. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful that you're sharing the gift of you in this way. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review the show. Have an experience you'd like to share with me? Get in touch at my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.